Welcome to Good Burger, home of the Good Burger. Can I take your order? A baby's gotta do what a baby's gotta do. I'm David Hasselhoff. Hooray! Names Rango. This is the movie Hall of Fame class of Nickelodeon. For Saturday, uh, February 25th, 2023. <laughs> You're monthly. Uh, yeah, uh, February. And there he is across the table from me, the rent of my Stimpy. It's Adam Hall. Ooh, there's a good one. That's the first time in a while you actually did a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, I like it. I like it. Stimpy, you idiot. <laughs> Hey, Adam, what's happening? This is the second half of our swap, our Valentine's Day swap. Longest Valentine's Day of my life. I know. Well, it'll never end. Yeah, it's pre-birthday. My birthday's tomorrow by the time we're recording this, by the way. So this is how I'm prepping for it, by doing a podcast with you. Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we did this bargain two yeah. weeks ago. You made me watch Japanese horror movies. This week, I, I made you watch Nickelodeon films. Yeah, I had like a certain... Cl- a certain high bar here we we did the uh the prestige cinema on my end right the, the fancy schmancy stuff yeah of, we did kaidan yeah. and Baba and respected yeah. cinema nico sure and over here we got fucking good burger <laughs> well the good burger i'm a good burger man take your order god damn it what a contrast what a contrast well it's tough. It's tough to really get at you. You know, it's tough to needle you sometimes. Yeah, and you you didn't really get at me that much. Yeah. Uh, I, here's the ironic thing. You know. So I assign these movies. These are all movies, uh, actually, with the exception of one, all movies from my childhood. These are movies that I grew up watching on the loop. I, I often would watch the shows that uh, corresponded with these movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would watch those episodes on a loop over and over and over again. And uh, I hadn't watched them in a couple of years. So, first of all, I wanted to revisit them just to sort of gauge what seven-year-old Nico was thinking coming up on 20 years ago. Mm. Um, And I also wanted to maybe expose you to things that you had not seen. I I know some of these movies you did watch when you were a kid, right? But you weren't really like a Nickelodeon kid like I was. No, no. I was one of the rare ones that, for some reason, was not watching Nickelodeon. I was only watching it was it was movies and it was like Malcolm in the Middle uh-huh. and that was it. I had obviously I had seen SpongeBob, I had seen Jimmy Neutron, and I watched them like you know once in a blue moon, yeah. and I watched them frequently at other people's houses right. when I was a kid. So that was most of my exposure to both of those things. So you were always kind of viewing them as an outsider. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Same with Rugrats, same exact thing. But yeah, like when Rugrats is playing and I hear Chucky's voice, all I can picture is Babe, right? Because Christina Cavanaugh is 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 the voice, and then Tommy is the vo- is uh, I forgot her what her voice is uh, or what her name is, but that's the voice of Babe in the second movie. And I'm Elizabeth just thinking, Daly. Yeah, I just I can't I can't stop thinking of other movies 
movies that I grew up with that sort of informed my childhood. But yeah. it's cool that there is sort of that, that that crossover and whatnot. It's interesting. Yeah, uh, there were three <laughs> networks when I was a kid. I don't know what the case is now. I'm sure most people just watch, most kids watch like YouTube or Netflix now. But it, it was Nickelodeon, Disney Channel, and Cartoon Network. Those were the three. <laughs> and Cartoon Network was aimed at boys and Disney Channel was aimed at girls for the most part. And Nickelodeon was kind of somewhere in the middle. And I was a Nickelodeon kid. I occasionally watched some Cartoon Network. I liked Ed, Ed, and Eddie, for example. I liked Dexter's Lab. I liked shows like that. Those shows that were always a little too, like, dark and surreal for me, I think. Like, as I grew older, I came to appreciate all those shows and what they were trying to do. And I just found Disney Channel to be lame because that's what, like, Lizzie McGuire is or whatever. And that's what all the girls with cooties would watch in the second grade. Kind of my experience with it, too. Right. Uh, so Nickelodeon was kind of my sweet spot, and I obsessed over these shows. I had the toys, I had the merchandise, I had everything. Uh, so they are near and dear to my heart, uh, most of the movies nominated today, and I rewatched all of them for the sake of this podcast. Uh, and I am here to issue a heartfelt apology to the world, to you, to my parents, to uh, kids just slightly older than me, to uh, toy store owners, to uh, guys working at McDonald's and Burger King that had to sell the Happy Meal toys. (laughs) These are bad movies. I could not believe my eyes revisiting these things for the first time in 15 years. Like... I was horrified. Really? I was Aww. horrified. You- I had such a bad time rewatching these. <laughs> I had such a bad time. Like I and I understand like nostalgia, hell of a drug, you know, but like I and I expected them to not really hold up as gracefully um as you know star wars or something right like so i went back and uh expecting them to age a little bit but to still find them charming or interesting in some way these are awful these are so bad this is why this is a really great podcast for me and why nico's a fucking idiot because you want to know something i had a pretty good time oh my goodness <laughs> when you try to get at me it has the reverse it totally effect. backfired <laughs> I, now that doesn't mean i think you're like the bugs bunny sticking his finger in elmer fudd's rifle <laughs> exactly. This is awful. Now, it's not that I thought that these are all good movies, because far from it. But, uh, you know, I was, I, I, I don't know. I, I knew what the, I grew up feeling like I kind of knew uh, what Nickelodeon was and knowing what SpongeBob was, knowing, like, what the merits of Jimmy Neutron really were. Certainly that was the case for me with the, watching the Rugrats, by the way. Um, and I was, I, I felt like I could look at it with a little, you know, with no, no nostalgia involved whatsoever. Just, just taking it as you know, mostly just as kids' movies because that's really all these are. And some of them are much better than others. Some of them are vile. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was not hating my time with them though. It's like I don't know. I kind of felt like I was cleansed enough to to get it. Yeah, I. I felt so bad. I felt gross watching these. Really? I felt I felt gross that I ever found this funny. I could not believe how stupid I was as a six-year-old, seven-year-old. <laughs> I mean, that's something you discover every year as you get older. You you discover how you were an idiot at 22, at 21, at 19, or whatever. Like, and at the age of seven, I mean, goodness gracious, was I a stupid kid. Yep. Um, <laughs> like, there's only one film on this list that I love. and There's one film on this list that is... A, absolute banger and is going to get in very easily the rest of them though complete total dog shit <laughs> well actually no that's not I don't true. think they're dog shit There's- i think one of them is okay for what it is but for the most part like these are 
dumb movies aimed at the lowest common denominator nothing in there for parents nothing in there even for like maturing children yeah this is the thing we talk i I get into arguments with with certain friends of mine all the time and they're like why would you ever watch these movies they're aimed at kids i'm like so many of these movies are not aimed exclusively at kids that's actually a um that's actually more of a rarity than you think. Like the Minions is aimed specifically at kids because there's absolutely nothing to enjoy about those with parents. Right. It's better to classify certain movies here as family films. Yes. And that they're designed for everyone in the family to go to the theater and enjoy. And God help the the parents that are dragged in to see, I'll save my thoughts, but one, a couple of these in particular <laughs> where it's just like, because they know they have to bring their kids to the theater. Yes. So, like, why not make something for the parents? And that's why, you know, family films take off and why they're a little more well-rounded in that way. So that, you know, these parents live a nice life (laughs) and raise their kids and their kids and don't resent them. Yeah, no, that's the the first person I thought. I thought of my parents because I dragged them to all of the like I dragged my grandmother to SpongeBob. Oh. And she was like in her seventies at the oh, time. Oh no! And she's you know a a a a little old Venezuelan woman, very conservative Christian lady. And uh, like when she saw Patrick Starr's Cooley, in her words, uh, as he's parachuting in to congratulate SpongeBob for his promotion, she I believe said, "This is filthy." I think she said that in the theater. This is filthy. And uh, I felt bad for her. I felt bad for my parents who I had subjected to hours upon hours upon hours of this nonsense. And, And I imagine, I just imagine if I have kids one day, God help me and God help them, frankly. If I'm sitting in front of the TV and I'm making them watch or they're making me watch something like Jimmy Neutron for the first time. Like, how do I live? Oh, dude, I have this mapped out. I know what I'm doing. I, funny enough... I watched SpongeBob not long before I, I I got you know my parents and my my older brother and his fiance we all got together we watched Aladdin uh-huh. it's just funny to <laughs> compare the two yes um but I was like it, it doesn't matter how old you are Aladdin's still fucking great it will it will always work I mean mm-hmm. it's mostly Robin Williams but like right. hell yeah, yeah. and th- so th- so I realized like, like th- there are certain you know family kids films whatever you want to call them that sort of transcend these boundaries that I have no problem showing showing to any one of them that. I have no problem sitting down and watching myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this extends to Pixar films and Ardman films, by the way, mm-hmm. which I've been marathoning the shit out of. And I'm like, wow, mm. wow. And contrasting that with these is uh, n- not good. Right. <laughs> you don't want to do that. Yeah. But um, can you even get him into Studio Ghibli at a young age? I mean, it's I feel like that's tough now with how much stimulation there is in animated movies. But it's tough. Some uh, Studio Ghibli films, not all. You could do My Neighbor Totoro, I think. But, yeah. you know, like there, there's those are almost too mature in a way. Yeah. You got to be careful because you never know which one is going to capture the kid's imagination, right? Mm -hmm. Like there might be some sort of algorithmically produced, uh, hidden message in an episode of fairly odd parents Mm -hmm. that like gets your kids hooked. And then that's the only show they want to watch. Like my little cousin who's six now, uh, she went through a Paw Patrol phase for about four years. Oh boy! And that show's r- brutal. It's tough. It, it is tough. It's really tough. Like like even like something like Peppa Pig is a little better than Paw Patrol. But there is something in there. I don't Just know do- what it is. Like there's some subliminal messaging that speaks to these kids, and then they get hooked on it, and, and they you- will not accept anything else. So you got to be careful. Don't even let them watch Paw Patrol once. You know what I mean? Like here's no, my, adv- I- my my advice I- to new parents. Like. 
Only get them watching Pixar movies. Yes. Don't even don't even get them watching Cars. Don't even give them one Cars movie because then Cars three is going to be their favorite fucking thing ever. Well, there are certain things that I look back on and I I cannot believe I liked it as a even as a kid. I was I'm, I'm ashamed to admit. It. Like you remember Caillou? Oh yeah, hell yeah. Yikes. I haven't revisited Caillou though. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to know Caillou and Arthur and Clifford like, the Bedrag well, Dog, Dog with the three PBS series. Arthur's great. Arthur's legitimately great. But, yeah, but but not not Clifford. Uh, <laughs> remember Zaboomafu? I used to watch that shit all the Hell time. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. No, but like I I would probably but similarly like it's not so weird to say it's like we're we're forcing our kids to watch these things like evil maniacal parents but like yeah. god damn I don't want to deal with Paw Patrol or Peppa Pig just think before I know there's no DVDs anymore but think before you queue up that next Netflix series you know just think before you give your kids the remote and let them choose whatever they want because they will get hooked on the first thing you show them. I would imagine they would get hooked on Shaun the Sheep, and I like Shaun the Sheep, so that's what I'm doing right. for little kid shows. Okay. That's a good show. Okay. So. <laughs> so it's all Wallace and Gromit yes. and fucking... That's what it is for you. That is a little... little. I don't know. That I do feel bad, because like, the first like animated movie to like really blow me away was probably Chicken Run. Uh-huh. So that's a great movie. It's such a, it's such a good movie. Yeah. By the way, Dawn of the Nugget. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Cannot wait for Dawn of the Nugget. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we need to do that pod. I I would love to do an Ardman pod. Yeah, we could do it. I I was never a big Wallace and Gromit fan growing up, and now you understand why. I was yeah too busy watching <laughs> this bullshit. You fool! You fool! <laughs> you fool! No, uh, yeah. Just listen. Uh, when you show your kids something, ask yourself one question: Are you ready to watch this a hundred times? That's true. Are you prepared to watch it a hundred times? And I am not. I am not prepared to watch Rugrats in Paris a hundred times. No. But that's why my one of my aunts hates the 1941 or 40, whatever year it was, 1940 Pinocchio. Yes. Because my older brother watched it incessantly. Mm-hmm. Would not stop. Right. And that's a great movie, but like, uh, yeah, it's too bad. Mm. That's the thing. Like, it can ruin good movies to a degree. Yeah. So you have to, yeah, choose wisely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, here we go. Five movies nominated for induction into the Movie Hall of Fame. Good Burger, Rugrats in Paris, the movie, Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius, the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, and Rango. Rango. One of them getting into the Movie Hall of Fame. I wonder which one it could be. Is it the one that was, you know, actually filmed by a real cinematographer <laughs> that we love? And directed by a real Hollywood director and... Starring a, a good Hollywood cast with a smart script and interesting insight and meta commentary. Who would have thought that Deacons would have shot uh, Jimmy Neutron? Right. It just doesn't seem like his style. Doesn't seem like his style. It's, it's really fascinating. Not really his thing. <laughs> that movie's so fucking good. We'll talk about it in a second. Yes. <laughs> uh, there were a couple movies, God help us all, that did not get nominated today <laughs> for induction in the Movie Hall of Fame. Uh, the original Rugrats movie was not nominated from 1998, including the third movie in the trilogy, Rugrats Go Wild, the crossover between Rugrats and the Wild Thornberries. There was also a Wild Thornberries uh, individual movie in 2002. There was Hey Arnold, the movie. All of these things I watched incessantly. I don't know if I saw the Hey Arnold movie. Yeah. Were you a Hey Arnold guy? I liked Hey Arnold. Yeah, Hey Arnold, I feel like it's still pretty good. But again, I haven't watched it in a couple years. So I don't hey, know. hey Arnold, I remember being good. Arthur's still great. And uh, Recess is good. Recess is all-timer. Recess is good. Unbelievable mm-hmm. show. 
Um, you know, you, you got uh, Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events, a, a movie that I don't think is that bad, but has kind of been outdone by the Netflix show with Neil Patrick Harris mm-hmm. and a book series that like got me into reading. That was, Really? Yeah, that oh. was the one book series that cool. I like bought the new editions when they came out and read them front to back in a weekend. Like that was my series. I was a Magic Treehouse guy. Loved really? that. Loved that series as well. <laughs> Uh, Nacho Libre in 2006 might have made the list. I wanted to generally, though, stick to animated movies or movies that are based on TV shows because I wanted to sort of um, loop that in. But uh, Nacho Libre, I'm sure, a better movie than most of the movies on this list. (laughs) Uh, Charlotte's Web from 2006, same thing. Uh, Last Airbender might be better than some of the movies on this list. <laughs> I don't know. No, no. Okay, I'll stop you right there. That's not true. Like uh, these aren't very, most of these movies aren't that good, but like it's not that bad. <laughs> Adventures of Tintin, uh, Spielberg movie, his only collaboration with Nickelodeon. That was in 2011. There's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie from a couple years ago. I heard that one was okay. Uh, I didn't see it. That's with Megan Fox. Well, there's that one. I think that is. The- Oh, no, I thought I was thinking of the animated one, not the CGI. No, I think this is the CGI. The Michael Bay one, no? Oh, yeah. Or maybe he didn't direct it, he produced it. He did. No, that that is the, uh, yeah, you're right, that is a Nickelodeon movie. I never saw that one. No, no, no. I heard that one was kind of whatever. There's more SpongeBob movies that came out a few years ago. Sponge Out of Water. Sponge Out of Water, Sponge on the Run. Haven't seen any of those. I'll talk about my journey with SpongeBob in a minute. Mm -hmm. There you go. I would argue, based on the way you have these listed here, I think they get progressively better. That was my experience with them anyway. For the most part, yes. Yeah. Uh, there's, yes. Yes. I think so. <laughs> For the most part. Yeah. What uh, do you believe was the most nominated Nickelodeon movie at the Oscars? Take a guess. Rango. A series of unfortunate events. Really? Nominated for original score, art direction, costume design, and one best makeup. Cool. Yeah. Cool. How about that? All right. Jimmy Neutron picked up an animated feature nomination. Uh, Wild Thornberries had a best original song nomination. Uh, Rango won animated feature, and Tintin had an original score. I'm hosting a family reunion at my oven house for a mock. I think it's the heat actuator. Anywho, I'd like to order uh, three good meals, four junior good meals, a 17 piece order of your good chunks. Um, okay, on two of the junior good meals, I need to substitute the good cookies for good pies. Now, don't fret if that's extra. I'll pony up the overage. And, uh, oh, on the regular good meals, I need two of the good burgers to have ketchup, mayo, mustard, lettuce, tomato, but no onion. I've got an interview this afternoon. Let's see, that takes care of everyone but Uncle Leslie, who doesn't eat meat, but of course he does eat dairy, so I don't get it. Uh, let's get Leslie a good chick with some good fries and a good group here, all to go. But I would like to have my beverage while I wait. Now, total me up. 1997, it's a movie called Good Burger, directed by Brian Robbins, the auteur behind films like A Thousand Words and Norbit. Directed this movie, was written by Dan Schneider. This is the beginning of the Schneiderverse. This is when Dan Schneider uh, begins his slow takeover of children's entertainment. There's a Schneiderverse? So Dan Schneider is the creator of Drake and Josh, The Amanda Show, iCarly, Victorious, Sam and Cat, Zoe 101. I'm probably missing a couple. This man needs to be needed to be stopped. Well, he's no longer with the company because he was accused of sexual harassment by uh, underage girls. Not so not uh, (laughs) not there anymore. But he plays the manager of Good Burger in this movie. (laughs) He was a writer on all that. And that is uh, 
all that is the Saturday Night Live style sketch show that aired on Nickelodeon in the late 90s and early 2000s. Gotcha, gotcha. Dan Schneider was a performer and writer on that show, and there was a sketch on that show called Good Burger that became this movie with Keenan and Kel. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Dan Schneider, I, I think, was coined in the New York Times as the Norman Lear of children's television. And uh, what do you think about that? I loved his shows. I loved Drake and Josh. I loved iCarly. I loved the Amanda show. Uh, watching this, uh, goodness gracious, again, what a fucking moron I was at seven <laughs> years old. <laughs> this is why, this is, this is what made me think starting out that I was in for a rough one. Yeah. Because I have seen Good Burger. Mm. Um, I do not like Good Burger. <laughs> I hadn't seen it in many years, though. So I was like, okay, well, maybe I missed something because it's sort of a cult favorite. Whatever. I'll give it a shot and I will be as kind to it as I possibly can. And uh, much to my surprise, it's much worse than I actually <laughs> uh, did. Uh, it's, it's just a, a <laughs> abhorrent, miserable experience. I would be happy doing it on why is this a thing. Uh, goddamn, fuck you, but good burger. <laughs> fuck good burger. <laughs> It's really bad. So what's funny about this movie? There are a few individual laughs, as sparse as they sometimes are. You're going to have to list them for me. Abe Vigoda on the ventilator is very funny. When they say that, like, you know, their fry cook is going to drop dead any minute now, and they cut to him. That image. Abe Vigoda is in this movie, by the way. Tessio from The Godfather in this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sinbad is in this movie. <laughs> yeah, he is. A young Linda Cardellini is in this movie in the insane asylum. She is the the girl that Kel falls in love with. I guess I kind of like Linda Cardellini. I, I, I'm never I'm never mad at Linda Cardellini whenever she pops up. Can never so. be mad at yeah. her. Yeah, love her. Uh, so how would you describe the humor of this movie? Oh wow! Because I, I would say that it is. Indicative of the Schneider experience as a whole. I don't know much about the Schneider experience, though. Like, yeah. I'm very, I, I didn't watch Drake and Josh or iCarly or whatever. Wow. I was very separate from that because it looked terrible to me. Yeah. And may, maybe this didn't help because I'd seen this way before, I think, any, like, I, I might have even seen this uh, a couple years after it came out. It wouldn't have been right when it came out. But um, uh, I just, yeah, so I, I saw it when I was a kid and I was like, yeah, no, no, not for me. Um, I don't know what it is, though. I mean, because they're they're marvelous attempts, and they 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 crash on the slope every single time. <laughs> it's you know, yeah, it's big swings. Like I think of like okay, so I think of like yeah, it's like Nitro Circus where they go off those mega ramps, right? And they know this is going to be the funniest thing ever, and it's just a spectacular disaster on this trike or whatever, right? And it did just can't do it it almost becomes funny that they can't land these fucking jokes right it's one of the most aggressively unfunny movies i've ever seen in my life <laughs> yeah I, I was almost kind of thinking like it's it's stoner comedy without the drugs there's no stoner you know shit what i mean like, it's but, like but it's, it has that vibe of like the la hangout movie it, it's very much like wayne's world the dynamic of those two true. is very much like wayne's yeah, world yeah yeah but there's no drugs in it so it's this Weird comedy without any surrealism. No. <laughs> and that is the worst kind of shit there is. Mm-hmm. It's it's this like aspiring for weirdness. I feel that way sometimes about Damon Lindelof things, right? Like yeah. it's weird for the sake of weirdness, but it's not like surreal. Where I think like something like SpongeBob, for example, which has a lot in common with the structure of this movie 
it's about a, a rival fast food chain. Yeah. And it's about dumb characters, but like SpongeBob, because it's a cartoon and because it's mostly visual, it has that surreal quality to it. Yeah. It gets away with a lot. It's more imaginative. It's allowed right. to be, you know? Right. Whereas you look at something like Good Burger, like I think of there's this this running gag in the Amanda show where Amanda Bynes and Drake Bell dress up as hillbillies and they call the segment the hillbilly moment. It's time for your hillbilly moment. It's time for a hillbilly moment. This is the joke every time. Mm. Is she'll say a knock knock joke, she'll list an item, and then she'll hit Drake Bell over the head with it. Okay. And that's the segment with like banjo deliverance music playing underneath. And they did this 30 times. Maybe every episode <laughs> of the Amanda Show included this. Okay. And when I was seven, in my peer group or whatever in elementary school, it was the funniest shit imaginable. And now I look at that and it is so indicative. Of this entire subgenre of children's television show. Nothing in there for adults. Nothing in there that's creative or imaginative or surreal or slightly askew. It is just, let's throw as much weird shit at these kids into their dumb fucking brains as possible. That's what I think it is. Though. Until no, they laugh out of just, until we just like beat the the logic out of them. You know what I mean? It's exploitation for kids. That's kind of how I look at it. Yes. And that it's just, it's just kind of manipulating the, the, uh, the easiest parts of their brain to get them to have a reaction. Cause I was like, where is the, jo-? I mean, I see what they're, uh, where the joke is supposed to be, but why do they think this is funny? Why? Do, Cause I, I, I don't know. Half the time it just felt like you said, a stupid thing for the sake of a stupid thing and not much imagination past that point. Like where they, at the end, like Keenan Thompson is just like spraying uh, uh, condiments at them. And that's supposed to be funny. Right. We'll talk about this more when we get to SpongeBob. Okay. But I'm discovering that Nickelodeon was a network of idiots. Yeah. For the most part. And it was... SpongeBob to me sort of transcends... It does. ...some of these things. Uh, it, it transcends all of them. Yeah. It's a little bit different. Different beast. But... Uh, different... But because of style and also the, the care that I think Steven Hilleberg treated those characters. Yeah. Whereas... You're like, at least like, don't treat us like idiots. Like, Which if you're going to make a show about idiots, at least treat us as though we're smarter. You know? I think about like... The best cartoons growing up for me and the ones that I still go to are shit like Bugs Bunny. Oh, yeah. And Bugs Bunny is the best because he's smarter than everyone else in the room. Mm-hmm. And you were in on the joke. You felt like you were a part of his gags. Oh, and, yeah. And, and those cartoons invited you in. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, like, I'm just asked to laugh at Kel Mitchell for being a moron in Basically. this. And there's nothing really redeeming about him. It's also that fine line, too, of laughing at someone and laughing with someone. I don't ever feel like I'm laughing with Kel in this. No, they just kind of place you in in the kitchen and just just watch him do stupid stuff now. Right. Watch him climb into the smoothie machine like it's a bath. Right. Watch him shower with his clothes on. A character asks him to watch his butt at one point and he spins around literally looking at his butt. And also, like, you're probably 30 minutes in before you realize, like, you're going to be able to telegraph just about every joke that gets thrown his way. <laughs> That's true, too. You're like, so right. Like that one. It's You're like, so right. you better watch your butt. I'm like, all right, turn around, watch your fucking ass. It's like, yep, there you go. 
Yeah, it's a kind of idiocy. It, it becomes annoying because it's so predictable. Yes. And like at a certain point, you just want to strangle this character and be like, don't fucking say the thing I know you're about to say. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that is, again, the antithesis of comedy. There is no surprise whatsoever. Not at all. Yeah. Not even a little bit. And the other thing that I found so frustrating, too, is that there are a lot of like splashes of like really, really weird shit that's going on. Like the, the rival burger joint is destroyed from explosive hamburgers. Right. That's how the movie climaxes, for God's sakes. Like, where was that? <laughs> where was more of that? Like, yeah, it's fucking stupid, but like, if you're gonna if you're gonna have this kind of stupid stuff in this world, it's it's better than whatever this guy's doing. Right. I, I Yeah, just, let's get the physical comedy. Let's get the sense yes. of adventure or whatever. Do even what, if it's gonna be dumb. Yeah, do what what Nickelodeon clearly does best with some of their uh, animation comedy, which just just be insane. Yes. Just give me spectacle. Yes. Yeah. That's what I that's what SpongeBob is to me. Right. And I'm okay with that. Well, eh, we'll talk about <laughs> it. But yeah. Not all the time, but for the most part, like that's where it made the most sense to me if they're gonna do it that way. Yeah. It's not necessarily the most substantive, but I guess I'm not expecting substance out of a movie about rival burger joints. It is what it is. But I just demand that you be somewhat funny. Right. You know, I demand that your characters are likable. I mean, honestly, I didn't give a shit. And I mean, there's not a lot of redeeming qualities even about Kenan Thompson's character. Yeah, you know, the one thing I, I enjoyed about the movie was going back, just because Kenan's been on SNL for so long now, and I, mean, I actually like him on Saturday Night Live. He's, he's usually like the the guy that people pick on as being the weak link on that show, but I think he's been like a pretty solid presence for the last 15 years. Um, so it was kind of cool going back and watching like a young version of Kenan Thompson. Kel was the problem here Yes, for me, you know? Yeah. And I think maybe coming out of this movie... The odds would have been that Kel would be the star and Keenan would kind of be the guy lost to time. And it's sort of been the other way around. I think Keenan has sort of found his place as the straight man that can like host Black Jeopardy on Saturday Night Live and just like be the solid force, the solid comedic force up against someone like Bill Hader or whatever. Yeah. And I think Kel, he's doing one trick in this movie and it's not even a particularly interesting trick. No, oh, anybody know? can do it. It's just, uh, that, th- and that was the other thing. I was like, what's what's so special about this character, too? It doesn't even have, like, the charm of, of a Bill and Ted, though. Right. It doesn't have the sense of timing or even the f- the physical sensibilities that Keanu has or... Uh, I can't remember. Alex Winter? Alex, or even Alex Winter. Yeah. Or, it's just... And the other problem, too, this is the thing, he's just not that good of an actor. Right. That's the other thing. Like, Yeah, I mean, they're kids, but yeah. But he, but he, here's... No, but even Keenan, I can tell... Like, I don't love Keenan Thompson, but I can tell he has a certain lovable theater kid energy to him. And Kel is just... I don't know what he's doing. Right. I, I, don't, I don't know what he's doing. He's just like, do a funny voice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Welcome to Good Burger. Home of the Good Burger. Can I take your order? It's, it's like, look at how... Look, I just did it beautifully. Look right. at me. Look at me go. It's like, who cares? I This movie does nothing for me. This movie's it does, a bad movie. It does nothing. It's just nothing. Yeah, it's bad. Let's move on. It's not good. It's really bad. It's not getting in the movie Hall of Fame. That should come as no surprise to anyone. And if you are nostalgic for this movie, if you're a kid of the 90s like I was. A lot of people are, by the way. Yeah. That's the thing. I don't understand it. I, well, I, I, of course I understand it. I get it. It's just like, but I, I, rewatch it with, just put your big boy pants on for 90 minutes but for fuck's sake like i got more out of my rewatch of space jam than i did this completely agree that i actually thought that watching a lot of these movies i'm like wow even space jam holds up a little better than this yeah yeah <laughs> christ 
let's move on <laughs> to the animated movies now. We'll start with 2000's Rugrats in Paris, the movie, directed by Stig Bergvist and Paul DeMeyer. I think two uh, Rugrats staffers. Mm-hmm. As you said, it stars Christine Cavanaugh as Chucky, Elizabeth Daly as Tommy, Susan Sarandon and John Lithgow also pop up, Tim yes. Curry in a minor role. Um, it's it's notable, though, that Christine Cavanaugh is top build because Chucky is kind of the main character of this movie over Tommy Pickles, yeah, who thought... is the character that I think we most closely associate with Rugrats. Yeah, I was I was surprised. I hadn't seen this movie like since it came out. It had been ages this is this could have been that thing we did on why is this a thing like this would have surpassed uh um small soldiers easily for me as yeah the longest gap in between watching oh, movies oh my god yeah yeah so uh, this was always my favorite rugrats i was really excited when rugrats go wild came out mm-hmm. and i got to go to hollywood video and get the little scratch and sniff cards oh yeah smell of vision was pretty sick and watching the wild thornberries cross over it was like my alien v predator you know <laughs> but this is always my favorite rugrats and i think the reason why is because i didn't really sympathize with tommy as a kid i sympathized with chucky chucky was me and i think chucky was probably most kids oh i still like chucky in this movie i'm gonna get to my thoughts on the movie but i yeah. still like chucky he's he's a good thing about the movie but the whole thing was that tommy was brave and chucky wasn't yeah and um, Chucky's more compelling for that reason. <laughs> yeah, I think is a little more relatable. Yeah, it's more relatable. I think a more cinematic character. Well, I mean, I don't know. Like Tommy is Indiana Jones, I guess. And I don't know what what's Chucky. Chucky is like the unwitting hero that kind of just stumbles into doing great things, but it is mostly is mostly terrified. Yeah, that's but right. as a kid, I mean, that's the character I think that you sympathize with sure. the most. So that was why I chose this one over the original. Um, I also remember really liking the Paris setting. Uh, <laughs> I love a road trip movie. It was kind of cool seeing the Rugrats out of their element a little bit. Um, but, you know, this is one of many movies that Nickelodeon did at the time where they would take the animated show. They would blow it up. They would add shadows. That was like the only conceivable difference in animation style mm. is that they would add shadows to all of the characters. So it looked a little more three dimensional. This will extend to one of my big issues with the movie. Right. I think it looks really gaudy. It's ugly as sin, this movie. I'm going to say this, though. I don't think it's the ugliest movie on the list. Ooh. <laughs> I think I know where you're going. Yeah. I think um, it's it's really gaudy looking. And you watch the show, good. and the show, even though it came out, it started airing 10 years prior, just looks so much better. Mm-hmm. Is it a good movie? Uh, no. I hated it. Uh, I hated watching it again. I didn't hate watching it, but I, I did kind of have that feeling like, does Nico really know what he's doing here? <laughs> Like I, I, I saw it. Like we Who get, is this guy I've been hosting a well, movie podcast the, with for eight years? Like, <laughs> like I got into it. I was like, this looks like what it is, right? Like I know what this is. And I saw it. I was like, yeah, it's exactly what it was. It was just like kind of a stupid, gross out like kids movie that's kind of fun at times when they're like ru- running around in Godzilla. I'm just assuming this is your first exposure to Godzilla. Yeah. I, 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 right. I probably knew what Reptar was before I knew what Godzilla was. Yeah. Yes. So that that's cool, like you know, flying Mecha Godzilla. It's you know, I I got it. I was like, ah, look at that. And uh, I know. definitely didn't know what the Godfather was. I'll put it that way. I didn't. I did not understand the Godfather reference. I forgot about that entirely because this is another one that I had seen. The only thing I, that stuck with me like viscerally was the um, part where they're running from the security cards and going down the tunnels and stuff like that. Yeah, I I, I remember, remember the dream sequence 
just because I remembered the song, here comes Chucky Chan. Mm. That was a big part of it. Uh, and I, of course, I remembered the the mom stuff. I remembered that this was a movie about finding a mommy. I didn't remember any of that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and and that, I will say, as a 27-year-old man that grew up watching these movies and is easily manipulated by these kinds of things, the ending still kind of got me, even though I didn't enjoy the movie on the whole. I I, I got it. The, the dance at the end worked. Worked on me. Yeah, yeah. It's just such an ugly movie. And I don't mean just like visually. The, the, some, sometimes just like the gags and the characters are just filthy. And I get that's the point. But like like in a show, in a little kid show, you can stomach that for, I don't know, 20 minutes, which is about the length of an original Rugrats show. And I have to sit through this for, you know, over an hour, especially the twins, whatever their fucking names are. I Phil and Lil? Fuck them. I actually think those are probably the, the better vocal performances on the show. Oh, <laughs> like I, I think that the woman that plays Lil is actually is actually pretty good. Yeah, I, I don't know the the thing with the the poopy diaper though or the stinky bag. I can't do it. I'm just like I'm, I can't every. But I, and again, every time it cuts to these characters, I know what the gag is gonna be. Right. And it, again, I know it's I know it's for kids. I I, I yeah. We're gonna keep coming back to that same line. Like, I just don't buy that as a legitimate defense of the movie. No, 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 no. Not, not if you're making a movie. Right. It's I I get to a degree. No, I. I See, I push back against that. There's so much, so much money and so many resources funneled into children's entertainment. Sure. And there are a lot of talented people that work in it that are capable of making great stuff. I don't buy that as an excuse of, oh, it's just on TV. It's just on YouTube. But like, there is no excuse to be lazy and make shitty art, regardless of who it's for. Well, the excuse is that it, <laughs> we need to get this out and we will make our money. Right. You know, that it makes sense. I, I understand. I don't, I don't condone it. But I, you know, it's like... What am I going to do? <laughs> exactly right. You know, I just wish for more. It's maybe part of the reason why I didn't grow up on this stuff. I don't know. Mm. I, I, I just, I, I don't know. I did find this stuff kind of dumb. Right. <laughs> I did. Uh, well, la-di-da. I wasn't, just wasn't really. Good for you. Fucking little Adam Mensa over there. I really, I can't, I'm such an asshole. I really <laughs> the was. The boy genius. And then the, like, the, it's such a product of its time too, particularly with the soundtrack in this. Who movie. let the dogs out? Ooh, I... <laughs> So on the nose. But even that side adventure, Spike's little side adventure yeah. where they parody Lady and the Tramp, uh-huh, uh-huh. that is clearly, you only had the structure of a 30-minute episode and you stretched it into a movie. Like, yeah. that's the kind of shit that you throw in there because you don't know how to write a legit movie with a compelling A plot and B plot. And yeah, this is the other thing too. I think just the movie's very boring. It's very forgettable. It's I, so boring. That, that, yeah. It's yeah. so fucking boring. Like, so here's here's my theory with this, right? Like, the thing about Rugrats, the reason why it worked on TV, and I still stand behind the show, is because of the sense of adventure, mm-hmm. right? And Pixar, I think, sort of tapped a similar vein when they were making movies like Finding Nemo and Toy Story, is if you make the leads of your movie small, the world can appear big. And you can make crossing the playground or getting across the monkey bars or uh, digging something out of a sandbox like a fucking treasure hunt or this incredible prison break or whatever. Like, There's so much you can do when you shrink down the (laughs) scope of your movie. And when you make... You know, you you don't need to go over the top and have your main characters fight a dragon at the end. 
And that's what the show did well. And the original, I stand behind the original block of Nickelodeon Saturday morning cartoon programming. Mm -hmm. Like, I stand behind Ren and Stimpy. I stand behind Doug. I stand behind Rugrats. What this movie does, though, is it makes the mistake that a lot of these movies did, which is, well, if we make it a movie, it needs to be bigger. Sure. It needs to be worthy of the big screen somehow. And so what they do is they add this big reptar mechanical chase at the end. They make it a Godzilla movie at the end. And I'm just watching these babies fucking in a giant mechanical dinosaur climbing the Eiffel Tower at the end of this. Yeah. And I'm thinking, is this really Rugrats? Is this really the sense of adventure? That moment makes the other moments seem small. So now nothing else in the movie can reach the heights of that moment. So I can't include the sandbox shit. I can't include the playground shit. Feels antithetical to Rugrats is what you're saying. Right. So it's this it's this thing of now we went so big that the small now actually feels small. Whereas in the show, the charm was that the small felt huge, you know, and so they completely reversed the formula. So for (laughs) 45 minutes to an hour of this movie, it's just the the kids bumming around in in Paris. By the way, not really. It's a terrible Paris movie. Yes. It takes place mostly in the amusement park. Right. That was the other thing I was wondering like use your location and they only really use it at the very end when they're you know in the reptar and climbing the Eiffel Tower and whatnot and then they end in Notre Dame right that was it I was like what's the point of Paris in this what's the point of using that as a character or as a setting and you know and I, uh, but that's an interesting point too. It's like, okay, well, if the sandbox is big, what what's something like Paris going to be like to them? Right. It'd be like another planet, right? Uh, and no, it doesn't feel that way and, at all. And, well, yeah. and the answer is it's too big. And so now, who the fuck cares about the sandbox? Yeah, which is the work that you did the first seven seasons of the show or whatever. Yeah, is you made the small appear huge. And I don't view that show as empty entertainment, children's entertainment. Like the idea of like facing your fears and, uh, you know, going out yeah, on an yeah. adventure and, you know, conquering your little portion of the world. And sure, like things that are little might appear big to you, but it is just as important as fighting the fire breathing dragon. It's your conflict. It's what it, what's in, in the case of those characters. That is sort of important to us. It does shape us. Even right. as we're kids. So I, this one does none of that. It just eliminates all of the charm of the show. And it both bores me and overwhelms me with the action. Ah. And that is the worst combination of the two. I, I totally shrugged it off. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Right. The Chucky shit. Yeah. I still think is good. It's not like there's no redeemable qualities to it. I mean, you know, in some of the animation I'm okay with. And like you said, the Chucky storyline and uh, Christine Cavanaugh's performance, she's always great. But, you know. But here's the fucking thing. It's like, even that message of facing your fears and being brave like Tommy, it's like, okay, so that means as a baby you have to climb into a giant mechanical dinosaur and climb the Eiffel Tower? Yeah, it doesn't really work in that context. You know what I mean? Like, so even that feels irrelevant in the scope of this movie because again it's just about not dying on this mechanical dinosaur sure there's one good line in there where i think uh, kimmy's mom i'm forgetting her name now but says to chucky's dad is this your first time in paris and he says well france no but i've been to paris texas (laughs) i like that line Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius. Ah. 2001. 
Directed by John A. Davis, written by Davis and Steve Odenkirk, who we know from Kung Pao Enter the Fist. Yeah, we do. We've covered that on Why Is This a Thing many years ago. Amazing movie. Debbie Derryberry stars as Jimmy Neutron along with Rob Paulson. Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart is in this movie as one of the aliens. And so is Martin Short, just doing his Jimmy Glick thing. Yep. So you can't not see it too. Right. If you know who Jimmy Glick is, yeah. It was funny. Oh, uh, way overqualified. So th- this, as we mentioned, was nominated for Best Animated Feature. It lost. It was actually the first ever Best Animated Feature Oscar. It shares a, a an important part of film history in that way with Shrek and Monsters, Inc. Yep. They essentially created that award because like Shrek was doing such a hard push for Best Picture. And they were worried, like the Oscars were worried that Shrek was going to win Best Picture. So they gave it like its own <laughs> category. <laughs> That's how huge Shrek was uh, at the time. An eight-year-old boy genius and his friends must rescue their parents after the adults are abducted by aliens. So this was originally conceived as a TV show. And when the movie was made, the plan was to always make it into a TV show. And so to me, this movie and the show are synonymous. Like this is just an episode of the show for me. Um, Just sort of longer in its early stages. Like Cindy still had pigtails rather than the ponytail. The show came first. No. No. The the movie came first. Um, But again, it was always meant to be a show. What do you think of it? Well... (laughs) <laughs> I'm having such a bad time today. I know. Oh, I wanted it to be a big party, a big celebration of my youth. Very similar levels for me for Rugrats. This was more like I was able to watch it easily just because of the amount of nostalgia involved. It's the one that I remembered the most. Um, I remember a lot of lines from it, as a matter of fact. Um, I mean, it's not that good. It looks hideous again. I think it's the, the worst looking movie That's of the bunch. CG animation style is It's it, a step away from Food Fight. <laughs> it, ain't, it ain't that far away. It looked really fucking ugly to me. It's really bad. It's better than Food Fight, but like, you know, funny, I I was joking uh, off pod a little while ago that we could have done VeggieTales and they're very similar in right. that sense. I always think of beast wars which is a Transformers show that i used to watch all the time uh-huh. uh and that has a similar style of animation but it's like robots right so you can get away with a little bit more and like they're fighting each other it's not like gaudy horrifying human-esque characters mm-hmm. that are doing like animated character stuff in the cg space it's the designs of some of these characters too is, is part of the problem to me and right it just it's very off-putting What'd you think of Jimmy in this? I don't know. Well, I've never really liked Jimmy. I fucking hated him. No one likes a genius character. They just... Yeah, here's the thing, though. Is he a genius? I mean, he invents a lot of shit. He can invent time travel. They even said, like, yeah, I could do that, but it'll take too long. No, he's a genius, all right. Yeah. Uh, he's a genius. Yeah, but he plays as fucking annoying, though. Yeah. He's just annoying. And the show, like, for a show about a genius, it doesn't really attempt any science. And that's the thing that bothered the hell out of me. Like, the space travel sequence. First of all, I did not realize how much of this movie took place in space. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. I had forgotten that entirely. Like, like the, all the, the kids just get on rocket ships <laughs> and they launch into space, into this other planet. It's There's there's a bit of an anything goes mentality to it. It's just like, how do they get up into space? They just, oh, they just make it out yeah, of Yeah, but the... anything goes without any of the wacky stylization well, of, SpongeBob. of like Looney Tunes or something. Yeah. Or SpongeBob, yeah, would yeah. be the right, right, yeah. right. 
No, that that's the thing though. I was like, I even as a kid, I remember watching this and being like, why are they alive? Right. I was conscious that the fact that what's happening makes absolutely no sense in space. Yeah, it's this thing like just pick a lane. Like yeah. if you want to go weird with it, if you want to go absurd, then you need to give me an animation style that, you know, confers that. Mm-hmm. Here it's like they do this I mean it's not really photorealism, but it's no. this it's this new style of animation that's grounded. Maybe that's the word for it. It's a grounded style of animation. You know, like you have the brain blast sequences or whatever, for, but for the most part, you understand the rules of how this world behaves and the animation uh, behaves accordingly. Yes. So you have this wacky thing of a bunch of kids going into outer space without helmets or spacesuits <laughs> and like camping on a planet or on, on an asteroid sort of yeah, on an asteroid and <laughs> starting a fire, a fire. <laughs> and all of this stuff is well and good if you do like chuck jones style animation or which, you do steven hilleberg style animation which they don't which they don't do so you have this weird cognitive dissonance of that yep and then we're told continually this is a, a genius this guy loves science his name is jimmy neutron and it doesn't even attempt the science like so at least give me the magic school bus you know what i mean like at least oh, yeah. attempt to educate me in some way or just pick a fucking lane you know either be looney tunes or or be a, a pbs educational piece of programming yeah it doesn't seem like it knows what it wants to be i know this is ridiculous but so even the aliens felt somewhat out of place to me there's yes. something about the visual style of them that didn't i didn't get at all yeah and the jokes associated with them the fact that they're like egg people that worship a chicken yes they find chickens very funny <laughs> this show i i okay <laughs> like mrs fowl again another chicken uh thing there is a dune reference there is a dune reference congratulations that was nice come collect your prize fuck yeah <laughs> yeah the aliens to me kind of felt like season five shit that kind of feels like something you would do once you've run out of ideas you I mean just jump, have... jump the shark in this one you mean yeah it kind of jumped the shark in the first episode it does <laughs> in that sense. Like I'm okay with, you know, like they, they basically you take an idea. Look, okay, so I've seen them do this before in, in certain shows where it's like you take a theoretical concept and then you blow it up in interesting ways where it's like it, it would make a, a theoretical physicist be like, that would never happen, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I at least see the foundation and Im- yeah, yeah, embedded yeah. in that is some nugget of truth that children can take something away from star trek does this a lot yes very 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 wisely and brilliantly sometimes so if they had borrowed from that just toned it to you know the younger audiences maybe that would have made more sense to me like a kid more kid friendly version or kid approachable version than star trek because there's yeah there's a lot of stuff on that show that just wouldn't translate as well but i can see that avenue working here mm-hmm. and I, maybe magic school bus is that example that's right. actually a good one yeah yeah but yeah, there's none of that. So the, the show doesn't understand tone. This movie doesn't understand the tone at all. It's similar to Rugrats. How can we scale this down? Like, how can we make a boy? Ge- how can we challenge a boy genius? Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, how can we make his high school or middle school day to day life challenging for him? As opposed to let's just have the aliens fucking invade. Yeah. Like, that's a trump card again that you play three or four seasons down the line. And instead, all they do is they kind of yada yada the growing up shit. Like Cindy, incredibly cliche character. Uh, what's what's the name of the cool kid? Nick? Nick. The cool kid Nick that doesn't do show and tell. Yeah. Again, so fucking cliche. <laughs> well, I think it was dated when it came out, too. There's nothing new here, too. Yeah, but it's not funny. It's not cliche in no. a funny way. It's just cliche in a lazy way. Is there anything funny about the movie? Jimmy's dad's funny. 
Yeah, I like Jimmy's dad. I I I, I will always like Goddard. You know, Goddard's cool. I had a Goddard toy as a yeah. kid. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. Like life size Goddard. Really? That you could like open up and see the wiring and shit. Oh fuck yeah. It was my favorite toy. I would have loved that. It dude. was fucking sick. Mm. I wonder yeah. what happened to Goddard. I like Goddard. You got <laughs> Goddard's a charming little animated character though. There now the show was cued to Goddard. Right. It would make more sense yes. to me. Yeah. Yeah. If it's just Jimmy has to find Goddard. Like yeah, th- that's sure. a show, right? Yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. a fine episode. But yeah. For the um, record, I don't remember I hating the episodes of Jimmy Neutron when I would watch it. And mm. I could probably say the same about like the Wild Thornberries, but we're not talking about the Wild Thornberries, are mm. we? I don't know. There's something about this format that just didn't work for in a movie. Mm. Something about this canvas felt very, very wrong for me. Yeah. It it's um it's also, I think, kind of a a lame thematic movie. Like the movie is basically like listen to your parents, kids. That's the whole yeah. theme of the movie. A, a person without kids, like that's what they would think uh, a proper lesson Listen to teach their to kids pain. would be. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's kind. Of, it's like uh, there's nothing about coming of age. There's nothing about growing up. There's nothing like empathetic or like from the kid's perspective. It's all just like, hey, listen to your parents because your parents know better than you. And it's like, well, if you don't have kids, that's what you would think a kid <laughs> would have to learn. You know what I, mean? I don't, but kids are like so much more rich and interesting people than this movie. Than Let's On, yeah, yeah, Let's On certainly. This is so simple-minded in its approach, right? So like one no, and and the the idea is so obvious. I just didn't mine anything from it. Yeah. Like if you're gonna tell that, obviously, like anything, tell it in an interesting way, and it's right. just it just kind of is. It's like see what happened, kid. You screwed up. Listen to your parents. Bye. And like uh, all right right you know they're just very empty movies unfortunately and like i said the only the, the enjoyment i got out of rewatching this was just sort of like revisiting nostalgia mm-hmm. and being fascinated by that like wow you know right i remember that part you know that was it though not, it's not it's not it's not interesting oh i did think too like it felt like it was ripping off rugrats to me carl is just chucky just a lamer version of Chucky. The way that the parents are are depicted in this, very similar to the parents in Rugrats. They're just that, doofuses. That's true. You know? I will say, when talking about Jimmy Neutron, and I was I, I realized this when watching, is that like I was there was a ref- slightly refreshing quality to it because I was like, well, yeah, it, it's jokey and it's silly and there's you know, there's a lot of ridiculous stuff in it, but there is a level of sincerity at least to the writing, which mm-hmm. is something I don't see at all anymore. So at least they're not taking you like intentionally taking you out of it as so many comedies are, uh-huh. as so many animated things are nowadays. So it was nice to see something that like, you know, took the silliness serious how do you how do you say this? It's like not Velma. <laughs> I guess that's what I'm talking about. It's not ashamed of what it is, is what I'm saying. So yeah, I'm a kid, and I'm also a goofball, and a wingnut, and a knucklehead McSpazitron! What's going on here? But most of all, I'm... Hey, settle down. I'm... Take it easy. I'm... What the scallop? I'm a goofy goober! The SpongeBob SquarePants movie from 2004 is written and directed by Stephen Hillenburg. It stars Tom Kenny, Jeffrey Tambor, 
Scarlett Johansson, Alec Baldwin, and of course David Hasselhoff. <laughs> Who could forget? Uh, SpongeBob SquarePants takes leave from the town of Bikini Bottom in order to track down King Neptune's stolen crown. Um, so SpongeBob movie. This was intended to be the finale of SpongeBob. This was going to be the end of it because creator and uh, showrunner Steven Hillenburg was dead set on you know not overstaying his welcome. Yep. He's kind of a, a he died a couple years ago, Steven Hillenburg, but he was kind of a, a quirky hippie guy. Um, okay. He was a marine biologist in his twenties, big surfer bro. Just liked being in the ocean, but was also like a real workaholic and kind of aloof, a, a little bit of um of a recluse, sort of a hard guy to get a read on. But he invented the show that obviously paid him millions upon millions of dollars in royalties for the rest of his life. But he, I think he was always kind of scared of its power. You know, okay. he, he used to talk about like um, having a, a moral aversion to the fast food promotions. That, oh. that the show would do like when this movie came out i remember there was a giant spongebob inflatable on every burger king restaurant yeah and it came with those spongebob watches in the happy meals which by the way i got all of them <laughs> um I'm not surprised yeah and he was always like the point of this show is satirizing fast food it's a it's about the greed and the corruption and and the lack of health standards or whatever and he purposely did not want to aim you know, promotional material at kids in the fast food setting. So he's kind of like a weird guy, kind of an offbeat guy that that was trapped in this Nickelodeon machine. And for years, they wanted to make this show into a movie. And he continually said no and finally agreed when he said, like, listen, I will do it. But it has to be the finale of the show. And then we're done. I'm making this and we're done. It did not end. Nope. He left the show after the movie. This is the last SpongeBob thing Steven Hillenburg worked on. Uh, and I would argue, and in fact, I think most SpongeBob fans would argue that the show never survived his exit. And this, to me, is the last great SpongeBob SquarePants product. And it's because Hillenburg imbued this thing with a sense of heart, with a sense of care. There was a very specific vibe to oh, the show. Oh, yeah. Very specific. I, I saw it in the New York Times described as a uh, Hawaiian slacker whimsy. You know, it's kind of like this surfer bro surrealism. The original seasons of the show are not as frenetic as we remember them you watch them they're kind of low-key the animation style is Mm low-key tom kenny doesn't play spongebob in that in that sort of um peewee herman kind of high-pitched voice over the top way it's not he's not really doing jerry lewis in those original seasons and i think now he's doing more jerry lewis but when hillenberg made the movie he was very anxious about like how do we make this worthy of the big screen how do we ratchet up the stakes? How do we, uh, you know, make the adventure larger than life while still keeping the SpongeBob cadence? You know, and I would argue that this is very successful at maintaining that cadence and that spirit. And in that way, it kind of splits the atom in a way that none of the other Nickelodeon movies do. Do you yeah. agree? Well, I'm not a SpongeBob expert by any means. Again, I've only I've seen enough of the show to know its vibe and stuff, but I haven't seen all of its colors. I haven't seen a lot of the early, like a lot of the earliest episodes to get a sense that, Oh, it was, it went through growing pains or something like that. And I certainly haven't seen the later seasons, but I'd seen kind of like right in the middle, like kind of, and, and probably towards the end where this movie sort of picks up. So I, I had a decent enough understanding, but I think I was actually more so able to watch it just as a really zany animated feature. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting. I wouldn't say it's perfect, but it's easily the most fun, easily the funniest, 
holy shit, mm-hmm. is it's really, 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 really funny movie. Mm-hmm. But again, with that dumb humor that is surreal and not just stupid, you know, surreal. But it's it can be stupid. Just be creative, right? And it's certainly that, and it's, it's visual. It's visual. Yeah, there's so many wonderful ideas here. There's so many great surprises. That's something that was sorely lacking in the other ones. There were just no no surprise to the comedy at all. And the, the great thing about SpongeBob, from what I understand, is that I, I never really know quite what it's going to do. And this is the relation I had with Aladdin. I was like, you know, there is when watching. Robin Williams is the genie. Like, I don't really know what's what, what he's going to do next. It is that similar level of just ridiculous, insane zaniness where you really do feel like anything could happen. Mm-hmm. And there's a similar sense to that here with SpongeBob. And it's just, I mean, this thing's like faster than Fury Road. It's ridiculous yeah. how, right. how nonstop like a machine gun SpongeBob can really be. Right. It's that Annie Oakley quality. Yes. So I was just like, wow, 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 wow. It's, it's the most like jolt of a SpongeBob experience that I'd, I'd ever had. Right. So I actually had a pretty good time with it. When it goes live action, I'm just like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and it's not just the fact that it goes live action, but it's. The way it does it, I was expecting like the Cyclops. I was expecting the guy to take off his helmet and reveal the human inside. No, he's just like a. Just a he's still a cartoon character. Yeah, yeah. Right. But in real life, yeah, the, the the real world operates like a cartoon. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes even more so. Even more so than the underwater sequences. <laughs> the yeah. underwater scene actually makes sense to me. Right. That's the difference. <laughs> yeah, what, David Hasselhoff becoming a motorboat is not. <laughs> <laughs> the animation it's just like the still like like jpeg of david hasselhoff's <laughs> the hair <laughs> as they're walking across the jpeg oh my god it's funny it they is- actually built a life-size replica of, of david hasselhoff to do that is that right they, they did i'm swear to god they did the 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 animated sequences when they're when they're on the water it, that's a yeah that's a recreation oh my god yeah yeah, it, it does have that quality of anything could happen at any time. And that was the charm of the show. Mm-hmm. Again, it's weird, but it's not just for weirdness sake. It's surreal. It's, it gives you this this uh, dreamlike quality. Um, I also think that the, the movie is gorgeous. It is. In contrast to the rest of these movies. Like, the animation is beautiful in this. Yes. Uh, I, I do not have the vocabulary to explain what's happening on an animation level. And I'm sure someone that knows more about this than me would. Often when you watch like an animated show like this, particularly that was hand-drawn in its initial stages, the faces of the characters will remain in this sort of resting position when they're not doing anything. And that's because the animators need to save themselves the trouble of, you know, changing the faces every single time, right? This movie, the characters' faces are always different. Oh, yeah. And there are close-ups, there are wides... You know, there are times when SpongeBob is trying to prevent himself from laughing or crying. Mm. Um, there are angry moments when he's drunk. His face looks like someone that's legitimately hungover. Oh, yeah. Every face in this movie is unique mm-hmm. and conveys emotion and is funny. Yeah. Like th- there is a comedy just to how these characters look, which is to me like that's what great animation is. Great animation is funny when the volume is off. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Uh it is the complete opposite of lazy. It is, oh my it is God. the complete opposite of what the rest of these movies did. 
it must have been exhaustive work doing half the stuff that they do because it's just so detailed. Yeah, that's just the, in the world of SpongeBob is again. It's it. One of, I love love this and not not just animation, but in movies in general where you're utilizing every element of the frame. You know, it's like every shot is you go into it knowing that this needs to be a perfect shot and it needs to communicate something and we need to get the most out of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's I mean every, every everything in this movie. I don't I don't think anything about it is is, is lazy whatsoever. And uh, boy, do they just come up with the most insane stuff to express a joke. I mean, even just the little things like where they fall off the cliff or they jump off the cliff. Right. And it's a little detail, but you don't you almost don't notice it at first. But the shading of the wall, it's getting a little darker yeah. as they're going. Now, most people, I frankly probably would have just said, hey, I keep it the same color. But you don't get the same sense that they're getting deeper and deeper and deeper into this crevice until you start shading the color. Just a little bit darker, a little bit darker, a little bit darker. Yeah. And just fine details like that that you don't really need to do. But it makes so much so much of a difference. I love it. Yeah, they're also yeah very well realized mm-hmm. locations. Like oh yeah, the monster with the grandma for a tongue. That's such a creep. I love it. So creepy. Yeah, yeah. Genuinely frightening in a way. I was like, uh, that's that's a that's a horror movie right there. Right. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> yeah, no this this movie has elements of all of that. Yeah. It has like slapstick comedy. It has a little bit of horror. It has that adventure road trip movie in it, and you know a, a message like we we've talked about how these movies treat their dumb characters. Yeah. This is about embracing who you are. You know, it's not about laughing at the person. And SpongeBob and Patrick are morons. They are maybe the dumbest people in the entire Nickelodeon universe, the dumbest creatures in the Nickelodeon universe. But there is a compassionate, empathetic quality to them. Mm -hmm. And I, I never feel like I'm laughing at them. You know, in fact, I aspire to be like them. And I like them. <laughs> you're cheering for them constantly. Yes, I'm cheering yeah. for them, and I like them, and I find them heroic. And you're saddened when they fail. Is the other thing? Yes. Yeah, like the scene where they're drying out, <laughs> where they're just put under the sun like that or the spotlight. Right. It's like, oh man. yeah, they they do the Toy Story incinerator ending. Yeah. Before Toy Story did it, That's Toy true, Story yeah. three. Yeah, it's that. It's and also a little bit of Finding Nemo too, with ending mm-hmm. up in the gift shop. Um, it's just great stuff. Yeah, it really worked. Yeah. Yeah, it really works. I, I mean, this was the pleasant surprise because it was actually the last movie that I rewatched. Mm-hmm. So I was really nervous going into it because I, I had just had an awful time with these other three movies. And, and uh, luckily, this one still holds up. Th- this was the one that like on on because it was my, yeah my first viewing of this one where I was like, if anything's going to work here, it better be SpongeBob, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like I, I've always been respectful towards SpongeBob. I, I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Dip your cap. <laughs> I, I do. Yeah. It's, they, they know what they're doing. I think more than anything, the visual comedy was the thing that was keeping me going and just the the incredible energy that this type of uh, show has or this in this case, this movie. But also, by the way, just I'm reminded of how good these actors are, mm. all of them, and just how iconic Tom Kenny is. Right. Specific that is, and the actor who plays Patrick as well. Yeah, but even just the supporting roles. Clancy it's gr- Brown. It's Clancy. Oh my God, Clancy Brown's the fucking man. Yeah, he's the best. That guy's <laughs> the best. But like looking at someone like like even like is it Jeffrey Tambor? Yes. Yeah, he's really good in this as King Neptune. Yeah, he is wonderful, wonderful. Uh, and then <laughs> surprised to hear Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. Uh, not as good, but not terrible either. I think she she does what she has to do. I think. Yeah, that character. Is a little unnecessary. The whole thing is that it needed to be bigger. We need to introduce new characters. We need to up the stakes. We can't just have the same characters from the show. And she was one of the big additions. I remember, and Alec Baldwin as Dennis, too, 
being an avid reader of Nickelodeon magazine as yeah. a child, Adam, I knew that these characters were coming and I knew that they were played by Alec Baldwin and Scarlett Johansson. And and so there was a lot of anticipation coming into it of who are these characters and what are they going to bring to this world? And I do remember thinking like Alec Baldwin's Dennis is a major red herring. Yeah. And and now I recognize he's kind of the same character from Raising Arizona with the motorcycle in Raising Arizona. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he's kind of introduced and kind of done away with in one scene, basically. He stepped yeah. on in one scene. Yep, basically. So I remember being kind of disappointed by that. I'm like, really? Like all this buildup? I got the Dennis watch from Burger King and you can't even include him in more than 30 seconds of the movie? I thought it was funny, though. Yes, yeah, it is very it, funny. Yes. With an older set of eyes, you can kind of understand where the joke is. Right. And it, and it made a lot of sense to me. But I'll tell you what. Best fucking villains here, man. I love Plankton. Oh, my God. Just the, the God, that guy's. What's the, the Mr. Lawrence? Is that that guy's name? The actor? Yeah. He goes by Mr. Lawrence. Um, I did not know that. But that's sick if he goes by Mr. Lawrence. I believe he does. Mr. Lawrence, that's correct. (laughs) (laughs) Just a wonderful powerhouse performance. I get so excited whenever he's on screen. Every joke lands. Every insane vocalization is just glorious. Yep. The thing about this movie is just so fucking entertaining. I never, I never really tired of it. And again, there, there's, I guess there are little things that I could pick apart, but I don't even care. It's just a jam of a movie. And yeah, it's a, this. This one's a winner for me. I really, I really like this one. How about the soundtrack? Soundtrack's fun. Soundtrack's good. Obviously, I'm a goofy goober rock. Mm-hmm. I don't actually think they got Twisted Sister for that, but Avril Lavigne did a version of the SpongeBob theme for the soundtrack. I of course own this on CD. I know. <laughs> it was called the Yellow Album. <laughs> Oh boy (laughs) Um, Wilco did a song for it They had There's some ween in there There's some flaming lips Motorhead I think Did a cover Of one of their songs For this People love that Spongebob Yeah Just like a Cool mix of like Late 90s alternative rock Yeah not bad Oh yeah I loved this soundtrack From out of the dust Came a man true and bold, champion of the Fandango. By night he drank whiskey, by day killed bad men, and the townspeople knew him at Rango. Coming down the mountainside, the people hailed his name. And of his Rango. Name, Rango. 2011. Directed by Gore Verbinski. Mm-hmm. Starring Johnny Depp, Isla Fisher, Ned Beatty. And a number of other character actors you'd recognize. Timothy Oliphant's in there. <laughs> so surprising. As, a, <laughs> what a great, as the spirit of the West. What a great little bit of casting, that one. I love that. Uh, I kind of wish they got Clint. Oh, he's good. He, he is good. He does a great, great Clint impression, though. Young Clint impression, though. Yes. Yeah, I was, I was happy with that. Rango is an ordinary chameleon who accidentally winds up in the town of Dirt, a lawless outpost in the Wild West in desperate need of a new sheriff. This is not really a proper Nickelodeon picture. This was uh, something that Gore Verbinski was financing independently and eventually brought Paramount in because he went so over budget. Uh, um, so it's not really like a developed in-house Nickelodeon movie, but it, it, it was released under the Nickelodeon label. No idea it was a Nickelodeon movie in quotes. And you wouldn't know by watching it. It doesn't have really any tie-ins to TV shows or sequels or anything. No. And also, what a fucking breath of fresh air that is there hasn't been a rango too yeah that's true oh what a breath of fresh yeah, that's air a good point 
They just made the movie and they left it alone. It made money. It won the Oscar and that's it. We're yep. done. Yeah. Let's it, go home, do something else. Yeah. No reason for it to really have a sequel. Even by that ending, they basically say, yeah, you know, he'll live and he'll die. And that's that. Mm. And that's fine. The reason I wanted to nominate this is because I, I suspected that you might have a tough time with the other four. So I, I, I threw on a real movie here directed <laughs> by a real director with a real cinematographer. As you said, Deacons is uh, credited here as a cinematography consultant. Yeah, there's no real cinematographer on this animated movie, but uh, his aesthetics are clearly yes. um, a, a big part of this. Mm-hmm. It's a great movie. It is a great movie. It's an incredible movie, actually. I loved it. It's uh, <laughs> it's so fucking smart. Mm-hmm. It's so smart and so knowing and so referential. <laughs> the references. I, I'd never seen it before. And God, some of these references are just so delightful. But so works so well in this space for this type of story, too. So uh, like the fact that it's basically Chinatown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was so like it's a Western, but like a lot of this is Chinatown. <laughs> It's some Chinatown with a little man with no name, Leone shit, Mm -hmm. a little bit of Raising Arizona, a little bit of Cat Baloo, a little bit of that in there. The the score is very uh, Raising Arizona. That's the thing I was very surprised by to hear the yodeling, you know, that specifically. Right. Just a wonderful script with just the best kinds of characters getting stuck in this type of predicament. I know it's like predictable, but it's done so well. I don't care. I don't care. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's predictable, but it's knowing though. I mean, this movie... You can tell Verbinski, and he wrote this thing with a guy named John Logan, who did, uh, he wrote Gladiator and mm. The Aviator, and has worked with Scorsese a bunch. But you can just tell they spent so much time really picking apart the westerns that they grew up watching. Oh, yeah. And, you know, going through all of the tropes, figuring out the stuff that works, the stuff that doesn't. What do we want to poke fun of? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what do we want to borrow from this movie? You know, what do we want to borrow from A Fistful of Dollars? What do we want to borrow from Star Wars? I mean, they yeah. they, they, they do the Star Wars trench uh, scene, the, the, the fight scene yep. in this movie in a Western context. The movie just knows its shit and it knows exactly what it is. And you just you're in such good hands the entire time. You feel that, too. That's the best thing about it. Yeah. And the great thing is that it works if you have never seen a Western in your life. If you're like a kid that's eight years old and is just getting into the genre. And it works if you've seen every Western ever made. Yep. You know, it it works on both levels. It's smart, but also is whimsical and has a sense of adventure and is funny. Very it's funny. Really fucking funny. I think about the scene with the the headstones when the they talk about the last sheriff dying and it's like uh, you know, Sheriff Tucker or whatever, <laughs> Thursday to Saturday. R.I.P. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's a very, very, very clever visual comedy. But also just like the the ambition here and and the filmmaking. This is something I, I just wanted to point out. I mean it's I loved the the, the comedic sequences. I thought the chase sequences were Really quite uh, breathtaking to watch, honestly. But sometimes just like the dream sequences, I mean, or I guess they're kind of dream sequences, kind of not really, but like where Rango is uh, traveling across the desert and just looking at like, what are they, dried up cactus, cacti? And just like some of the ideas here are really indelible. You really don't forget a lot of this movie. And it's just not something I see out of animated features really ever. When he shrivels up, when he sees the sun for the first time and he adds that extra layer of skin to protect himself, Mm -hmm. it's... It's unbelievable. It's so great. inventive. Yeah, great idea. 
ton of that. That's this an, an entire movie. For even the climax to happen the way that it does was very, very surprising and very big in a good way. Mm-hmm. And I think these voice performances across the board are fantastic. One of Johnny Depp's best performances. Totally agree. Yeah. So here's what they did for the recording. And I think Lion King, the new Lion King, did a similar thing to, I would say, less success. They got the actors on an actual soundstage. Okay. And they gave them costumes and they they did blocking they did the whole thing and they they filmed it so they could actually bounce off of each other and exist in a physical space and they used that as a frame of reference for the animators ah okay and so the animators just animated over you know Depp's physical acting or whatever and and of course you know made it a little more surreal a little more uh, pronounced um, but for the most part, all of this stuff was done physically in Ooh. camera. Wow. And so I, I think uh, the term that they used was not motion capture, but emotion capture. <laughs> I see. You know, and it it works like it definitely it comes through like you're 100 percent right. Johnny Depp's excellent in this. Mm-hmm. Isla Fisher is really good in this mm-hmm. as beans. Yep. But yeah, it does feel like these people are in a physical space with each other. Yeah, and it feels like there's a sense of stakes and there's it's you know, there's that tactile feel like like the, well, the splinters are really felt in this movie and the water is really felt in this movie. The heat is felt. There's a real consideration to the setting in this that's that's very unique and very inventive too. Like is it like you reference with the skin, but I just love like like the little sequences where it's I, I I'm watching the movie and I keep thinking like get this guy a drink of water. <laughs> and then then the scene where he he finally gets to the jug that's emptying i'm just like man if i'm writing this movie i have that guy steal the water and he just starts stealing cups and i just love that little character detail it was a breath of fresh air after watching all these because <laughs> was it the last one that i watched i think it was yeah yeah and i was just like well that's it that's the one <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and Deacons, again, I don't know how prominent a role he played here. Hard to tell. I can his lighting is very specific though. I right. Can, it kind of it's weird. It does look like a Deacons movie kind yeah, of, doesn't it? It, it really does. It, there's a naturalism to the lighting that's very specific to Deacons. Yep. There is a uh like like and, and they, they draw attention to it, like where they're using torches and stuff like that, or where they're using direct sunlight. Mm-hmm. And the way it's cut sometimes feels very much like the way uh, the Coens might cut some of their their films, particularly uh, Crosstalk. Right. Um, so, yeah, that that was kind of an interesting little bit of consideration, but it definitely makes the visual storytelling pop in a way that most of these t- types of movies simply don't. Yeah, it's also mostly in close-up, which yeah. is, it's a, it's a Leone thing, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, it's rare to see an animated movie like that you know most animated movies again it's all about big let's go bigger bigger rather than filling the frame you know and that's what this movie does it stays small but it fills the frame Mm -hmm. and yeah a lot of times like yeah shot reverse shot is just close up on two people's faces and we're just looking dead on that to me i'm just not used to seeing that in an animated movie and so i'm watching it i'm like this is this is like an actual fucking movie it's like i'm watching real yeah. people yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah. so i mean i gotta give deacons some credit gotta give the big homie his, his props there <laughs> that's our boy yeah it also just knows how to use its characters too like particularly when the rattlesnake comes in if you're gonna use like intense close-ups like most of the close-ups i felt like were used on him mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not literally true but jesus christ like like that 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 particular stare with that very evil western character was used pretty smart and what a great and again another great performance by uh, bill nye mm-hmm. just really awesome and then again the visual invention of just his rattle being a machine gun yes <laughs> 
Hell yeah. Yeah, it's another movie, too. It's a kid's movie with guns and cigarettes. And, and they swear sometimes. They swear, and there's uh, there, there's alcohol or whatever. Like, they go to a bar. They go to a saloon, I should say. Mm-hmm. This preciousness about kids, it's like kids are going to get exposed to it anyway. You might as well give it to them in entertainment that is smart and has a good message and is family friendly. Mm-hmm. Also one that can, I think it's important to do all that and also capture their imagination, which is something that this does extremely well. Yeah. I mean, the contrast between the beginning of this movie and the end of the movie is quite wonderful. Yeah. And I just, I, just, <laughs> I, I love to death, like, again, it just, it starts with this guy being flung from cars on the highway, yeah. car to car, and you're kind of put in a familiar space. And then you slowly transitioned in this, into this very, very small real world, though. There never came a point where it's like, I didn't believe that, that Western town that they had placed in front of me, mm-hmm. which is weird because the movie starts with you being very out of it. And again, that works for the character. So I love this character. I love the character. Rango's the man. I love, <laughs> I love the, his Hawaiian shirt. Oh my god! <laughs> Why the Hawaii? I guess that's the. Um, is that is that part of the reference to um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think isn't there a character in there that's a Benicio? Like he he's supposed to be a stand-in for Benicio del Toro. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. That right. was great. Yeah, this movie knows its shit. It knows what it's talking about. It might be the best Western of the 2010s. <laughs> I might go that far. Like, I love this movie. Ooh, it's wow. so good. Better than Django. I think it's better than Django, yeah. yeah it could be I better. think it might be the best meta-Western I've ever seen. Yeah, that's the other thing, too. Like, because... I'm at this point now where I'm very fed up with meta anything. Yeah. But there's something just so sweet and innocent and not cynical about its meta references at all. Yeah. It's it like ver- Blazing Saddles for me. It's like that. Yeah. Level. Yeah. Uses uses the references to its advantage. They ne- they never seem like they're distracting or it's like, you know, a cheap family guy joke that's just like a the funny for the sake of being funny. It tends to use them for narrative purposes. Right. So as opposed to the Godfather scene in Rugrats. I was kind of thinking the same thing. I'm like, what's the what the hell's the point of this? Right. Yeah. yeah so uh, all right. Well, it's obviously Rango, right? It's Rango, yeah. yeah easily. Great. Right, Rango. All right. Well, I saved it at the end there. Yeah. No, I think they get, yeah, they get progressively better in my opinion. Those, the, all, all those. So we, you have the, you have the right order, but, oh, it's what a disappointment. I don't, it's never fun revisiting this kind of stuff in that way. There it goes. In the trash. You're mad at yourself. I'm mad. You? Yeah. I'm really mad. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it backfired so spectacularly. I know. I wanted to torture you, and I ended up just Torch- breaking my own heart. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I was- killed little Nico. Yeah. <laughs> I murdered him. Because I'm watching it like, okay, there's only one movie that I hate, but like these others are like, yeah, whatever. You know? I don't know what you can do to break me. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep working at it. I haven't been able to do it yet, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna get there. I'm a I'm a weird one. Yeah. yeah, you gotta find the Brooklyn gorillas to really break me. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Takes there. a Brooklyn gorilla. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, in two weeks. Oh, we're doing anti Oscars. Oh, we are. So we are doing. Okay. So anti Oscars, and then after that, you wanted to do some documentaries, right? I did. Uh, I wanted to do D A Penny Baker okay. for documentary month. So maybe we'll do that the next show but we have to do the anti-oscars so uh okay we'll do that in a couple weeks anti-oscars huh yeah we'll talk a little bit about the oscar nominees and our alternative slate don't fuck it up this time this is the third year in a row please don't fuck it up i I never fuck it up no of course not uh (laughs) until next time you don't need a license to drive a sandwich patrick (laughs) 